Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed here, Digital Voices. So glad that you could be with us. I have one of the truly most remarkable uh, individuals in my professional career joining us today in John Glasser. John, welcome to Digital Voices. Thank you, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to see you. No, it's it's going to be so awesome. I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. But first, DJ Megan, because we're going to talk a little bit about uh, mentoring. Uh, have you ever had a mentor? Um, I've had a couple along the way. I'm really fortunate Divergent has a mentorship program. Um, so I've had an opportunity to connect with a couple of my colleagues um, through that program in my time here. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm a big believer in mentoring. I, I know that I wouldn't be who I am today or have achieved the things I've been able, lucky to do uh, without mentors in my life. And that kind of goes on how I first met John. And so John probably doesn't remember all this, but I was a, a very young CIO and, and I was I was given this role. It's a long story. I, I didn't deserve to have it by any stretch. And the CEO said, Ed, I knew, I knew this when I gave you the job. And there's two things you need to do. One was you got to change your clothing styles. Another story again. Uh, but but two, you got to meet this guy named John Glasser. And uh, so apparently Tom Zenti, my former CEO way back yep. when, he was with you, John, in some sort of think tank. And he's like, he he saw, he knew that you were like, this is what he wanted Ed to become. Like, you know, is this, you got to be smart like this. I was like, I don't think I can be smart like that, but I'll, I'll call the guy. So we talked in, and then I went to Chime Bootcamp and you were my mm-hmm. table leader. So at Chime Bootcamp, there's six or seven great instructors. And then they're each assigned sort of a table or small team. You were my team leader. And I was like, I was mesmerized and, and uh, just the wisdom. And, and what was fun with you, John, is not only were you smart, but you're a funny person and you're, and you're a real person. And so it was like, wow, I, you know, I was like, dang, that that's really impressive. And I, I can learn a lot. And then I asked you to sort of mentor me for about a year and you did, and you took my phone calls. I, I, I still remember yeah, of course. in my office and I'd be like, this is, you know, he doesn't have time for me and he made, made time. And, and it was always so impressive. So that's how we first met. That was 2004 um, in that yeah. camp. And, and then I've just admired you and watched you ever since. So, so we're going to talk a lot about leadership uh, today. Uh, but first, John, what everyone wants to know is what songs are on your playlist? Well, first of all, Ed, I, I remember Tom and I remember you. Uh, and just as I helped you, so too I was helped. Uh, and that's just the way the world works. So it's, I think you've done uh, remarkable work since. And it's a pleasure to have been a little part, just a little part uh, in your saga and your set of accomplishments. Um, anyway, to your question, I was thinking about this. And actually, I have a um, not so much a playlist as a set of groups that I listen to routinely. So the Silver Sun Pickups. You know, Alt-J, you know, Radiohead, uh, Arcade Fire, Lost and Profound, uh, Manchester Orchestra. Anyway, largely alternative rock is what I listen to, Ed. And, uh, and uh, you know, maybe date me or make me odd. But that's that's sort of what's when they turn the music on. That's what I listen to. Oh, that you just gave me some new ideas because uh, actually some of those I hadn't heard of before. So, so see, I'm always learning for you, John. So I'm going to. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm here for you all the time at expanding your horizons nonstop. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, what about your passion or life message or mantra? Are there sort of words that you live by that guide your life? Well, I had a, a couple of things. There's sort of two ways to look at that. One of which one of my kids asked me recently, what's your motto for your life? And I said, that's an interesting question. And normally you only get one motto, uh, but I actually said, well, I've got three. Uh, number one is take care of those you love. Uh, the second one, great ideas should be nurtured. And the third is be your values and yourself. So those are, you know, if we had to say at the end of the day, 
you want a plaque on your wall, uh, those three things would be on my wall. The other way to look at it, Ed, is if I were thinking this, you know, all of us will have at some point pass off this planet, you know, and let's presume you and I have five minutes left and you're looking back on your life. What do you want to say? You know, what is it you want to say about your life? And if you could say, you'd say, thumbs up. It was a good run, et cetera. And I said, I want to say five things. I want to say I'm madly in love with my wife then as I am now. You know, we've been together for 48 years and I just want to say that nice. and be and have that case. The second, I have three grown daughters and I want their lives to be as blessed as mine. You know, they have their own paths and their own things that they'll do. But nonetheless, I've had a, you know, a great life and I hope they do too. The third is that I'm spared great hunger or uh, bias or hatred or pain. Um, but if I'm not spared that, that I deal with it with courage. You know, I'd like to be able to say that. The fourth is that... Um, the people I work with will say that I inspired them, taught them, and led them well. Uh, and then last but not least, you know, the organization that I serve uh, and the industry that I serve, just as you serve too, uh, that they're better because I was here. And if I could say those five things, I'm good. You know, and so that's part of it. That is, you know, I think all of us, and particularly once you get past 30 years old, are mature enough to understand, you know, sort of frame those kinds of thoughts uh, and goals and, uh, you know, things that guide us. Oh, that's awesome. We could end the podcast right now. I mean, th those were uh, really, really, really. <laughs> yeah, you got your money's worth. What else do you want? <laughs> that's right. Everything else from this point on is bonus. So this is all bonus time. Yeah. Uh, that's what I love about you. Uh, can you share? So not everyone will know John uh, because this is Digital Voices. So yeah. we're now crossing not just uh, provider side, but we're now on payer side, life sciences, pharma. Um, so I think you're pretty well established, John, on the provider side and some of those other areas as well. But give us sort of your any part of your story you want to share, personal or professional. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll give you the you know the brief synopsis. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I uh, spent my freshman year of high school at a British boarding school because my father was a consultant sent to Germany for a year. So my brother and I were packed off with our cricket bats. Um, I was expelled from my high school in my junior year for writing an underground newspaper. Uh, went from there right off to college because I didn't want to go to another school for my senior year. Uh, went to Duke. I uh, had an undergraduate degree in math. Uh, during the summers, uh, we teach trail crew and wilderness skills up in the uh, Puget Sound area, so North Cascades National Park and Olympic National Park. I spent the summers up there, you know, wielding a chainsaw and helping people eat berries and stuff like that uh, as we went through that. Got out of college uh, and I didn't know what to do with myself. Everybody else seemed so certain, you know, going to business school or law school or whatever, but I didn't know. And so I went to work in a salmon cannery in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And got out of there in August at the end of my senior year with six grand in cash and nothing to do. So I hitchhiked from Fairbanks, Alaska to the Panama Canal through North Carolina. It took me six months uh, to go off and do that. Stopped in North Carolina to visit this woman who, you know, mentioned before, I've been with for ever since. Yeah. Um, got down to North Carolina, or Panama and said, I'm done. Man, enough hitchhiking. And besides, I miss her. I want to go back and be with her. So I went back to uh, Durham, North Carolina. I got a job at Research Triangle Institute uh, looking at uh, doing analysis work for a large healthcare expenditure survey. That led me to a PhD in healthcare informatics at the University of Minnesota, uh, where I was mainly a sociologist, you know, trying to figure out how organizations adapt to the technology. Uh, left that, married, uh, and um, came to Boston and wound up uh, running the healthcare IT consulting practice for Arthur D. Little, which is a big high-tech consulting firm at the time. Uh, after I love that. Three years of doing that, but my wife said, you know, you're traveling a lot and we're having little kids. This is the wrong time for you to be gone five days a week. Um, so I became the CIO at the Brigham in Women's Hospital. And then seven years later, uh, when they merged with the Mass General, became the CIO at Partners Healthcare. Uh, took a year off around 2009 uh, to go work for O. 
ONC, David Blumenthal, to put together the Meaningful Use Program, along with Farzad Mostashari at the time. It was kind of a remarkable time of being in, in the innards of government. Uh, and then spent five years running the healthcare IT business for Siemens, and then five years with Cerner after we were acquired by um, uh, five years after Cerner acquired the Siemens stuff. So, and along the way, Ed, as you know, because you've been doing this thing too, uh, wrote, you know, wrote four books, a couple hundred articles, and like you, involved in AMIA and HIMSS and Chime, the American Telemedicine Association. So, really contributing to the industry, you know, writ large. Um, and in addition to, uh, you know, being with Miss Denise for a long time now, uh, we have three grown daughters and five grandkids. So, that's it. And I always think that from the period of time from about 16, to about 23. I was interesting. Since then, not so much uh, between the high school and the HI, you know, all this other stuff. But anyway, that's that's the brief, uh, I guess it may, may have been a minute and a half version of the whole thing. No, that's great. That, that does provide a lot of insight. And it is interesting that time period between 16 and 23. So I didn't know all those stories. And it, it is what helped yeah. shape and form you, you know, because you were always sort of leading and pushing new things, you know, developing time, you're always pushing new tech and just leading. And and I don't want to say it's rebellion, um, but I don't know what the right word is, but there was something in inside of you, right? That's always like, uh, not rebellion, so it'd be more like, a, a, what's it called? Explorer. Always like pushing yeah. the envelope, looking out and trying new things. And I think- Well, that- I think, fair, Ed, and you have this thing too. I mean, it's, it is the willingness to say, uh, I'm going to try something different. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's, I'm going to hitchhike from one part of the, you know, North America to the other part of North America, um, or even differences. I'm not going to go get a job right away because I don't know what to do. Um, but it's also following your instincts. Yeah. You know, the instincts that says, I'm going to go back to North Carolina to be with this woman. I'm not, you know, yeah. going to go do it. Uh, I think along those lines. And, uh, you know, realizing that you'll be richer, uh, you know, as a life story, as a result. And the if you manage it well, the level of risk you really take on is pretty darn modest. It's not like you bet your life on these yeah. things or you bet, you know, all kinds of other stuff. So if it doesn't work out, there you go. That that was the next thing I just written down. You just used the words, you know, is taking the, those managed risks. So you've lived a right. life where like you went to the, you know, you went with uh, Cerner and Siemens. You, you took these new risks. You the whole thing going to Panama, you know, working at, you know, in Alaska, um, all those different things is kind of shows this early element of risk taking. And, um, and so I think that's probably what helped, helped you a lot, you know, in, the, in your different yeah. roles as well. So no, that's, no, that's really interesting. That's why we ask questions. Now tell me what in the world does it mean to be an executive in residence? So you're, you're <laughs> at Harvard as an executive. Pretty fancy, huh? Yeah. yeah. It's like, I, well, that sounds like a cool title to me. Well, someday, Ed, you play your cards right, it could be you. Um, and I think it, it generally is, is, is a role that people often take when they're at the end of their careers. And they've got a lot of wisdom to impart. Maybe they served in executive roles, but they've said, oh, listen, I don't need to manage folks anymore, and I don't really need the corner office anymore and all that stuff. Um, so specifically here, I teach six times a year uh, executive education at the Harvard Medical School, a course on leading digital transformation. So these are two-week courses, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people from all over the planet, you know, only actually about a third from the U.S., two-thirds from outside the U.S., you know, about a quarter from health systems, but the rest from governments and health plans and life sciences companies, et cetera. So we go through that, you know, what's it all about? Um, and so it also helped them think through new courses that they ought to have, particularly in executive education. I love executive education. Um, so 
but you know, they got to, if you're going to do that, they want to give you a, a role that sounds like you're, you know, you're a highfalutin. And so, you know, Grand Puba was taken, you know, all knowing, all seeing, all powerful was a little over the top. So executive in residence is kind of what we settled in. So, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it carries a sort of some gravitas with it, uh, but it also acknowledges that there's a real role here as you, you really do real things. Is there anything that you've learned through that experience, either putting together the curriculum or learning from the students that you wish you would have known, like when you were back, like as a CIO at, at Brigham? Not really. I, I mean, I always think, you know, it, you know, the work that I do or have done and the work that you do uh, is very experiential based. I mean, yes, you can go to school and take courses, but there's nothing like living it. You know, and I sometimes use the example the difference between there's a big difference between reading about raising a kid and raising a kid. Uh-huh. Uh, and there is a big difference between trying to get clinicians to use a system and reading about it and trying to go into a room and get them to do it, uh, et cetera. So there is nothing like it. Uh, it's like all kinds of things in life. It's like being in love. There ain't nothing like experiencing it. I do often do this. So in a way, you say, even if you had told me back then about certain things, I wouldn't have known it or understood it like I would after I've lived it and been through it, et cetera. Um, and I've been fortunate to, you know, be, you know, every now and then you'll make a career mistake. Say, well, that wasn't the best choice, but they're easy to fix in lots of ways here. And if even if you told me up front, that's going to be a mistake. Say, well, what the hell? I got to go try it, you know, and, you know, see what it's like. And I will learn from all of that. So I don't know that there's this boatload of stuff that would have said, geez, John, here are five things to remember. Right. Uh, and if I had known those, I'd be that better off. I, I do think like a lot. And there are some things you could say, but I do think a lot of things like trust your instincts, I think is, is yeah. really good piece of advice, uh, et cetera. Um, but a lot of that is, is you got to go live it uh, and you'll be smarter. And the course teaches you, at least this teaches me in a couple ways. One of which is, you know, and you've done this, Ed, because you do a lot of writing. You think you know it, and then you start writing, and you say, I don't know it as well as I thought, because yeah. it's not coming out tight, you know. And so you actually learn a lot by putting together lectures, et cetera. You really hone your thinking. Second, we have guest faculty. You know, we have, this, for example, this woman who works for the World Health Organization who talks about digital transformation uh, using the technology in sub-Saharan Africa mm-hmm. to reduce childhood mortality and eradicate polio. Um, and you learn a lot. You say, wow, that's pretty cool. And so you learn just from the people who are there, and you learn from the students, the questions they ask. This, that, and the other. So you're learning all the time about you know what's really going on, what the issues really are. Some of which are highly predictable. Organizations are hard to change. Others of which are relatively new because the technology is new. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, and that I I can see how um, you're you're always in this perpetual learning mode, and that's what makes yeah, it's cool you who you are. Cool. Yeah. When did you first realize? Was there a moment that you realized you were a leader? Maybe as a kid or uh, in early adulthood? Did you? Was there ever like this defining moment or was it something that just came about over time? No, I think for me, it was more of a passing observation. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't I think very few people wake up in the morning and say, I'm a leader today. Very cool. I'm excited. I'm a leader. Like very few people wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to get paid today. You know, that's great. I love getting paid. Of course you love getting paid. Okay, I got it. But that's not what gets you up in the morning, get you all fired up. It just doesn't. Um, What gets you fired up is say, man, we're going to, me and my team or me and this group of folks, we're going to go off and tackle some stuff that's really pretty important, you know, or pretty cool. We're going to make a progress. Or we got a boatload of hurt. We're going to go in and fix the darn thing, get us out of the soup, whatever. And so you realize, 
one is whatever we're going to do is really interesting and meritorious, worthwhile. And so you want to be part of it. You want to make it happen. The second you say, and I can help that. And how do I help that? Well, I'm actually pretty good at bringing two games together and get them to do this. That's my role. Now, other people in the team have other roles. You get your chief technical wizard. He or she will do their role. And you got someone who's a clinician. He or she will do their, we all got roles, uh, but together we're going to go off and do that. And then you're doing this and you say, well, you know, this is great. I really like this. At least I like most days. Not every day, but I like, you know, vast majority of days. And someone says, but you're being, you're leading us. Oh, I guess you're right. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. You know, it was kind of incidental. It's right. like observing that I'm six foot zero. Okay, I, I guess you're right. I hadn't really thought about it, but you're right. Uh, so I don't know that I ever had this moment. Says, "Golly, I'm a leader." It's these series of moments. Says, "I like the act of leading." Uh, and I really enjoy that. And I'm not bad at it. And by the way, it carries certain labels with it. Yeah, I, uh, that, that's a great, great way of framing it. What about leadership moments, though? Have you ever had like when you are, were a leader, are a leader, were there any certain moments that happened that sort of defined you? Like, you know, is it like a big thing that made you think about things differently after it happened? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... First of all, I think there are people who shape you. So, you know, to your point early on, we've all had mentors who shaped us, you know, sometimes phenomenally, like, you know, Dick Nesson, who was the CEO of the Brigham and Women's Hospital when I got there, was a phenomenally important human being to me, shape me, my understanding about how to take risk and how to manage talent and, you know, how to deal with crummy situations and all. So he was phenomenally important. There were also moments. You know, I'll never forget a moment, you know, I was board chair of HIMSS in 1991 and it was insolvent. It had no money and it had staff who were doing stuff that led them all getting fired. We were in a boatload of hurt. I mean, it was, it was about ready to, you know, close the door on the darn thing. And it took a board and some really terrific people to get us out of there. But I'll never forget, you know, learning about how to be cool, be calm, deal one step at a time, keep panic at the bay, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, he says, this is not a good place to be. We got to get out of here. Uh, we need some help and we go off and do that. So you learn from those. And I've had more than one occasion where I thought we're in a boatload of trouble. Remember Ed, going into one room when the infrastructure of the brig was all over the map, up and down. It was really, it was going nuts. It was mad. It was, it was bad. And I went into the room of technical ninja warriors and they're scared. They're actually scared. You could feel the fear because yeah. they don't know what's going on and they know it's bad. And all they wanted from me was to look calm and believe that I believed in them. And that's all you had to do. I felt like the sun, you know, shining on people who are cold and wet. And I just never forget that moment. Yeah. So that's what they need. That's what they're going to get uh, coming out of here. And then I'll never forget, you know, and then I'll shut up here, Ed, is going, talking, sitting to with uh, one of our fellows, and he was looking at this data that showed from admissions to the Brigham in the uh, Mass General Emergency Room, where the diagnosis confirmed heart attack. That's why they were there. And you could see in the year 2000, the number jumped about 26%, stayed elevated and dropped down in 2004. I said, whoa, four years. What was that all about? And he said, that's Vioxx. I said, whoa, you know, you could see in this data, you know, post-market surveillance. And I'll never forget that moment because it meant that our step of taking this young person who was really quite smart and he wanted some money and a place on a desk. Oh, for God's sake, you got money in a place of desk. Uh, and he wanted access to, oh, for, go get him, tiger. Um, and then you see, look at what he did. And it was just really, really neat. Uh, this sort of moment that realized this is payoff. You know, yeah. for all the work, it's like payoff seeing you excel. That's the payoff, yeah. you know, for a couple of moments way back when. And that's kind of one of those defining moments that say, this is why I do this. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Hey, we're going to get some free consulting from you right now. So based on okay. all of your experience and 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 uh, being the executive in residence at Harvard, um, what what is 
some recommendations, a couple of recommendations maybe for someone early in their career. So let's just say it's a John or an Ed, you know, in their uh, or mid, late twenties, uh, but they seek to, as, you know, aspire to something, um, you know, maybe a director <laughs> or vice president, maybe CIO. Um, yeah. What, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I think a couple, you know, one is make sure you like it, you know, so don't do it because it's sort of automatic, you know, I've seen people who became doctors because it's automatic or lawyers or whatever, make sure you like it, or at least you think you may not know because it's still early. But I think a couple things, trust your instincts, you know, your instincts will tell you, and those are sometimes personal, like falling in love with a spouse, uh, sometimes, but trust your instincts that go through this. The second, always work on your skill set. You know, this can you, you know, give talks, write. I always think writing is a great thing to do because it helps you sort of clarify your thought process, et cetera. So work on your skills of forming teams and work on your skills of communicating. You know, just make sure you're as good as you can be from a skill level. Because when you're up at that altitude, you know this, yeah. it takes a lot of skill, yeah. you know, because you're with a lot of very skilled people and you got to hold your own uh, at that type of thing here. The third thing that I would do is if you're in an organization, Seek out people who uh, will be your mentors. So you can close the door and say, I'm in this jam. What do you think? And particularly people who can see you in action. They can say, how did you think I did it the last minute? Say, well, John, there are a couple of things I could have, I, mean, I might have done better, you know, along the way here. And so you, you want, and people are usually pretty good about their willingness to do that. You're not there every day in their office, but you're, you know, from time to time you do that. Last piece of advice I will give you is if you say you're going to develop, and I think these are develop over time. A leadership style. You know, some people, there's just different styles. And we've all seen this, et cetera. You say, well, where does that style come from? Say, so, well, you know, part of it is who you are personally. You know, you have a sort of personality that is either gets angry easily or doesn't get angry, whatever it is. You know, there's a personality that you have. But the others, I want you to go into meetings, you know, where you're going to see other or leaders around the table and you're going to observe certain behaviors. You say, that's cool. And that guy, that's uh, however he or she did. That's yeah. great. I remember Jim Mongan, the CEO of the partners, was the best listener I've ever seen. You know, he'd open it up, let people talk for 40 minutes. And at the end would say, I think there are three things we got to do. I said, Whoa, that was so cool. How did you do that? Um, and I thought, I want to be like that. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to, and so you, you actually, your, your leadership style is a composite, a mosaic of, I want what Ed's doing and I want what he's doing and I want what she's doing and I want to make those my own. And the flip side, you'll see leadership styles that you think that's appalling, you know, like someone dressing down a subordinate publicly. You don't do that. Right. You know, I'm not even sure you do it when the door is closed, but you certainly don't do it in public. So you say, I ain't ever doing that. Yeah. OK, so I just or, or caving, you know, they, the winds start getting a little rattly and their decision gets start a little wobbly, et cetera. Don't cave, man. You got to hold still, you know, hold fast, et cetera. So that's what I would do. Yeah. You know, follow your instincts, make sure you like it, um, you know, get some good mentors and then, you know, gradually build this leadership style that is your own. Well, love it. That was good stuff. So, John, what about recharging your batteries? So, you know, you had little girls, three girls and, you know, of course, yeah. loving wife and the stress of, you know, big time executive. What did you do to sort of, you know, get away, recharge, you know, any any advice there? Yeah, I think and I think first of all is all of us should figure out where is our stress level. You know, I actually it's very difficult to stress me, very difficult. Now, you know, and that's just it is. It's nothing I didn't do anything; it just is. And I've also, and perhaps like you, seen people who stress way too early. Yeah. You know, oh no, 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 that's <laughs> whoa. You know, relax; it's going to be cool. Um, so part of it is, well, where am I? And you got to be careful because even if you think, oh, I got a pretty high stress tolerance, it's still eating you. You know, there's a corrosive element that you got to be really careful with that stuff. 
So what I, you know, what I do is I'm a big believer in the 10,000 steps a day. I have no idea, Ed, whether I'm going to live longer as a result of this or not, but I really like it. You know, I like going out there, bring my three by five card, let the little notes, you know, and, you know, make sure I don't get run over in the dark and fall on a piece of ice or whatever. But I really like that. Um, so part of it is find a thing that is you, that you do that is, you know, peaceful, you know, in a way, or just allows you to, you know, have a, you know, nothing going on in your brain on these kinds of things that have gone on here. So I think that that's key. I think the other is that, you know, what we all do is to, is when you're surrounded by people who love you unconditionally, uh, that has an enormous ability, you know, you can talk to them. Say, listen, I'm feeling a really crappy day here, or I'm really worried about this. And, you know, just get it out there. I think one of the things that guys do is they bottle stuff up, you know, presuming it'll go away. Don't do that. Now, not everybody wants you to confessional, okay? You don't want to go to the supermarket clerk and say, by the way, I'm really worried about this. What do you think? Like, Let's get the hell out of here. I got other people to check out. Um, but nonetheless, talk to people, you yeah. know, about some of the stuff that's issue. Have sounding boards that go off and to do these kinds of things. And I think periodically, every now and then, you got to take the vacation. You know, just take, I appreciate sometimes how, oh, it's not a good time. Go off and do that. And sometimes when I think there's, you know, I'm just saying, oh my God, I got, you know, way overcommitted this, that, and the other. What I do is I write it all down. And I look at this list and I say, all right, that's the list. And by the way, I'm going to take these two things and begin to take control of it. You know, take control of the, one is just writing it down as a form of taking control. And the other is say, I'm going to not do this. I'm going to make, I'm going to give this to Ed to do or whatever it happens to be. So you can actually manage the plate yeah. uh, in lots of ways too. So, um, you know, you may have done a better job than I did, Ed, of developing interests outside of work. I didn't do a really good job. Of I'm not a, you know, woodworker or race car driver or whatever. Uh, so I really like, I like people like you and I like going to time and yeah. I like the work. So, you know, I, I just really enjoy that stuff. So that's kind of, in a way, the stress reduction has continued to be active in a field and with a set of people I really like. Yeah. No, super, super practical. You know, you're like I established in the beginning, John, you're, you're a giver, you know, there's givers and takers. You're definitely a giver. You know, the, I, I could mention so many other things that you've done uh, for me. One that I, another one that came to mind, there's actually two. Uh, one is you spoke for me at Scottsdale Institute when we hosted it, when I was at Texas health and you were such a good yeah. support about it. You came out and then I made you wear a cowboy hat and I've got yep, great that. Yep. You. <laughs> cowboy hat. and then you met me early for breakfast that day. And you've always, like I said, given time on your calendar to me. And, and then with my very first book, actually you did like the forward and, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, for me. So you've always been this great, great uh, giver. How do you think that developed? Is that something that you just parents gave to you or did, for someone that may not be totally there, you know, uh, is there anything that you might suggest that helps people be more giving or is it just, again, something that you're born with, you either have it or don't? Well, I think there's part of it that's innate, you know, you either come out of the womb like that or you don't, you know, along the way. And I don't doubt that there are people along the way, particularly in your formative youth, who shape you, you know, that way. And particularly, you know, you could be if you had a very religious upbringing, which I didn't. But nonetheless, a lot of religious upbringing teach you to give, you know, to turn around and help those who are less fortunate uh, than you are. I do. My own sense, uh, it is uh, it's for people to realize that it doesn't take much out of you, you know? And so, you know, teaching you at boot camp, shoot, that was fun, you know, go off and do this. I was at Chime like you, and a, uh, one, a colleague came up and said, by the way, I just want to tell you, thank you. And I said, for what? He said, years ago, when I was a, nobody knew who I was. You, uh, you got a call from CIO Magazine and said, do you have any names of people under 30 who could go places? And I said, yeah, talk this guy. I think he's good. And that, he put him in CIO Magazine, and from there on, the headhunters found him, and he was off to the races. And I thought, you know, that took me five seconds yeah. on the phone to point him out. Uh, and it meant all the, you know, the world to him, et cetera. So point being, it doesn't take much having breakfast with you. I mean, that's great. Golly, was it an hour? 
that we, you know, went off and did that. Well, you know, okay. Um, and to realize how the effect and the impact can be truly substantial across the board. And so part of that is just don't, don't sweat it because it's not like we're asking you to, you know, commit the rest of your life to yeah. living in poverty, for God's sake. You know, the second is is that all of us have benefited from somebody else along the way, you know, who gave us some feedback yeah. or gave us a job. You know, like the guy who gave you, you know, the job at Texas Health Resources, Tom Senti, yeah. you know, who said, I trust you, you're, you're a keeper, but you need yeah. to, you know, hone your skills a little bit here. So just remember that and give it back, et cetera. And I always thought, you know, Ed, in being a fallen Catholic. You know, it's Catholic. It was an altar boy for a while, but then the Pope and I fell out of. You know, we're on disagreement about a couple of topics. Um, but you know, I remember thinking, well, how would you know if you led a good life? And I said, well, one way to know is the number of people who are saddened when they hear about your passing. And I said that will be, you know, all the people you work with, led with along the way. And the bigger that circle is, you know, the more impactful uh, your life would be. And so that's not why you do it, uh, but do recognize how important that is. Yeah. Uh, John, this is great. I, I need a little John. Uh, I'll, I'll just replay this uh, podcast every day. I need a little John in, in, in my life every day because uh, you're. So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'll think of the souvenir shop. I got uh, bobblehead dolls, bumper stickers, T-shirts, the whole thing. You can, yeah. you can all, your holidays are coming up, Marks. Come on. You got all this stuff ready for you. You never know, John. I, that, I might, that might spawn something. Uh, no, that that's good stuff. We covered so much. Uh, I, I mean, we don't do this visually, so no one can see it, but. You know, I'm holding up my notes. Yeah. It's just uh, ton, yeah. tons of notes that I'll hold on to for forever. Um, is there something we missed talking about or any topic that we did talk about that you want to double down on? I'm giving you sort of the, the last minute. No, I, I think, you know, you know, and, um, you know, healthcare is a big deal. You know that. Shoot, you've had your own healthcare challenge. Yeah. So have I and my immediate family. And, you know, it's very human. It's very personal. And at times you're surrounded by the most unbelievable people on the planet. God, they're so good. And they, they're so committed. These doctors and nurses. And says, wow, wow. On the other hand, the system doesn't work well at all. You know, it's accessibility issues. And this it's got a lot of issues, et cetera. And I think the fact that you and I and all of our colleagues and all of our colleagues to come commit our sort of being to making that better, that's great. That's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what, you know, they won't, nobody will remember you 100 years from now. They won't remember me 100 years from now, but that doesn't matter. You know, if we can make healthcare better while we were here, such that the beneficiaries, maybe not you and me, but maybe, you know, our kids or our grandkids, that's what it's all about. So part of me to all of the folks who listen to this is to thank them. For all that they've done to make that better, you know. Remember, Ed, when I was in graduate school, I did my pediat- or, um, doctoral dissertation sitting on a pediatric oncology unit at the University of Minnesota Hospitals and Clinics. That's, I spent six months doing their observing communication patterns. And at the time, if a six-year-old had leukemia, the chance that they would live the year out was about twenty percent. I said, "Geez, you know, what a horror show." Yeah. Now it's about eighty percent. That's what we want to see. Yeah. See more of, yeah. uh, et cetera. So, to all the people, thank you, and for not only what you've done, but what you will do. Uh, and that I and you and all of our colleagues appreciate the, you know, the real serious and phenomenal commitment and, and skill that will make healthcare better. That's a good word. Thank you, John. Thank you for being our guest on Digital Voices. Uh, I'm going to have you back. We talked already. We're, we're going to do another uh, episode on a, on a different aspect of careers. But thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Always a pleasure, Ed. That wraps up Digital Voices. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.